For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. And welcome to episode 21 of the Baseball from Home podcast. I'm Connor McKnight. He's Joe Brand. We're brought to you by the House of L Podcast Network. You know who we are by now. I've been covering baseball for radio stations in Chicago the last 10 years. Joe's been broadcasting minor league ball for the last nine. He covers the White Sox and the Cubs for WGN Radio. You can find us both on Twitter. I'm at C1 McKnight. He is at Joe underscore Brand 1. We're going to recap the White Sox loss to the A's and the Cubs loss to the Marlins as this was Gut Punch Wednesday on the podcast, not getting a single win. Really a tough one for both teams. White Sox with a little more hope in their ballgame than the Cubs. Uh, but I should tell you that first, before we get into these games, we would love it if you would subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It just it helps us, and we like it. You help us, and, and we'll help you with more baseball conversation. Uh, none of this, none of it at all, would be possible without the fine folks at Team Hockberg. David and his friends over at Team Hockberg are absolutely fantastic. Uh, they sponsor the House of L Podcast Network. They sponsor our pod, and they help me put a roof over my head for my place in Wicker Park. I use Team Hockberg to secure the mortgage on my place. They were absolutely fantastic. Any question I had, any clarification I needed, any backup. I, I mean, they, they probably would have come over and helped me move in had I asked them. I have, a, I have just, I have whatever the notch of pride is above that to have asked for Team Hochberg's help in moving me into my house. But I asked them for everything else and they were wonderful about it. Give them a call, 855-56-DAVID or head to the website, 56david.com. Homeside Financial is an equal housing lender, NMLS 1124061. So, Joe... Since the White Sox game was a little closer and full of many more questions, I think, and the Cubs game was just kind of a a beatdown of the same variety year after year after year, I say we start with the Cubs and end with the White Sox so that we can try and feel better about ourselves. Kyle Hendricks was Kyle Hendricks. He battled through some... I don't know if you even call it command issues. I guess he was a little closer to the middle of the strike zone than he'd like to be. He did get hit some. The Marlins scoring three and, and going ahead three to one after Ian Happ's home run felt like going ahead by 30 to me. It was, again, the same kind of at-bat after at-bat after at-bat from that Cubs offense that made them look like scoring a crooked number is damn near impossible. What you just brought up makes me is the reason why I felt okay with Kyle Hendricks hanging on in that game. It's clearly easy to look back and and dissect the game. Oh, you got to pull Hendricks when he's why is he out there that long? But he was just working around, like you said, traffic so much in today's game. One run isn't going to do it. Like the offense needs to click, and Kyle Hendricks is the only guy that I can still see 
working through this Marlins offense. I'm not, I don't have faith in the bullpen quite as much. And the fact that Jeremy Jeffress, who is probably one of the most reliable guys all year long in the bullpen, coughs up the extra two-run shot to Jesus Aguilar later on, that just goes to show that this this just was not the Cubs game. And like you said, this is what we've seen over and over again. I didn't like at-bats. I, I really didn't like Anthony Rizzo's at-bats, especially in the eighth inning. It almost seemed like these guys were not aggressive enough. They did miss out on some chances. Like, Baez, if Baez hits that fly ball to left field when it's not raining, it's probably gone. Yeah. But still, another solo shot doesn't change the outcome of this game. So it's it's gone back to the Cubs that we know that have struggled this year, that have struggled in the playoffs, and now they're on the brink of elimination. And I don't care that you Darvish is throwing for Game 2. I'm not feeling too great about the Cubs in Game 2. I don't either. You mentioned at-bats. I'm glad you brought up Rizzo's because I probably wouldn't have, and that's a guy that typically gives you quality at-bat after quality at-bat. Even if the swings are ugly, the approach is almost always a, a pretty considered one. The one I found really striking, and Book Shambi pointed it out on the broadcast too, trailing 5 nothing, leading off the ninth, Javi Baez squares to bunt up in the count 2-1, and I... I was stunned by it. I was truly stunned by it. I mean, I even if your premise is, okay, drop one down the third baseline and see if you can get to first and, you know, bunt for a hit kind of thing, okay, you're down four, you need base runners, but you're still Javi Baez, and, and that's just, man, is is that just something disconnected, at least for me. And and, and really, the, the bad doesn't stop there because if you look at Jeremy Jeffress, he costs up the extra two-run shot, like you mentioned, to Jesus Aguilar. But you can't even say, well, at least the most of the work was solid and you can turn back to him tomorrow after a rough outing in game. He threw 22 pitches, 14 of which for strikes. And, and yeah, he'll be up and active for tomorrow, assuming his arm doesn't fall off overnight. But that's 22 pitches, 22 high-stakes, high-leverage pitches. And if I'm counting super reliable guys in that Cubs bullpen— I've got maybe two, and one of them is maybe Jeffress. So so that you've tapped one already and tapped him in a way where, where the, the quantity is so high, that is a really troublesome game one loss for the Cubs because of the resources you had to spend and lose. It was Rizzo's at bat in the eighth for me, and I don't mean to pound on a guy like Anthony Rizzo, who's clearly one of the easiest guys to root for on this team, one of the most level-headed, but he got a gift with ball three against Garcia in his at-bat, and then he just watches strike two over the outer third, slightly elevated. The next pitch, he, he pops it up on a pitch too high in the zone, and that just seemed like the case way too much in today's game. They weren't, they weren't aggressive enough early in the count, I guess is what I would say, because Sandy Alcantara, okay, he's a good pitcher. He 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 can throw in the high 90s. He was doing some good stuff today. But it just seemed like every inning that the Cubs did not score was, oh, oh, it's going to be one of these games. It's it's going to continue. Like, they had the, the loud dugout going in the beginning. They had some base runners. They had some decent at-bats. And then they just couldn't get run after run after run. I, again, I, I'm not feeling too confident in this team you need you need shutdown pitching from you Darvish because the moment 
you find a very tall hill to climb, the harder it is for this offense to get going. Jesus Aguilar's two-run homer might as well have been a grand slam because how difficult it is for this Cubs team to score one run, let alone five runs. That's what made it feel so out of reach was that two-run shot. And again, Darvish has to be 100% you, Darvish, in game two, and the offense just can't lay an egg again. For each and every playoff game, and we certainly hope there are a lot more than just two uh, for the Cubs, we're naming an unsung hero. However, it does have to be from the winning team. So, back against the wall. Joe, I'll, I'll let you go first because I know it's not all that fun to take an unsung hero from a Marlin squad that is, by definition, unsung, up and down. <laughs> I, I, I'm going with Aguilar, and okay. I used all my ammo on my on my conversation before. Yeah, Done. it's just right when that happened, I said to myself, that's the game. So, Jesus Aguilar. Uh, give me Miguel Rojas. Uh, it's, it's not often that your best hitter <laughs> – you know, statistically speaking, granted it's only 60 games, but your best hitter hits eight in a lineup, which when I saw it from Don Mattingly, I was like, oh, okay, so we're just, okay, fine, we're doing that. But he made a couple of nice plays at short. He was on once, he scored a run, and uh, I don't know, I give it to a 31-year-old who's who's the best hitter on that team and still batting eight. Can we quickly bring up just the Starling Marte news? Because I don't even think it's that big of news for this team for Game 2. Thank you for bringing it up. Yes, please do. It's it's a busted busted hand, right? Yeah, it's it's broken. So, I mean, he, he's got to be done, right, for the entire playoffs yeah. for as, as far as yeah. they go. So, But that's what I mean. That happens. And, again, not that we're rooting for that to happen. That's awful to see. You never want to see it. But I feel like that does not even affect the Cubs' chances in Game 2. Maybe maybe it will, but I, for me, no. I don't, I don't see it being an issue because the offense is the biggest issue right now. And, oh, boy, I do have to pull out this stat. Matt Spiegel tweeted it out. Last six playoff games, the Cubs have scored one run. That is wild. It's rough. That's really rough. I believe that includes the game 163 they had to play the other year. Uh, Hugh Darvish and Sixto Sanchez, the starters for the Cubs and Marlins Thursday. That is a 108 start. Over to the White Sox. They pull even. Well, I guess fall to even with the A's. 5-3 to three the final, although there was plenty of drama late. They got the stick to Jose Abreu with the bases loaded, trailing by two. Jose went the opposite way, but looks like he just got on top of the baseball and pounded it to a well-positioned second baseman for the A's. I think they'd made a switch at that point, so it wasn't um, – oh, I'll find it in a second. They had made a they had made a defensive switch over. Oh, yeah, Nate Orff. Nate Orff was, was playing – I know. Who the hell is he? <laughs> um, Nate Orff was playing second base at the time. But um, – you know, it was kind of one of those weird games for the White Sox. Probably the worst start Dallas Keuchel has had for the White Sox. And even still, stayed in it longer than, um, or at least gave Ricky Renteria some options late in with the bullpen, which is really all you can ask if you are going to get hit around, and Keuchel was. The White Sox got screwed by a strike zone that was uh, not calibrated correctly. And you could hear Ricky Renteria screaming through the on-field microphones about the strike zone. Uh, Nomar Mazzara got rung up on an inside fastball that was about three inches off the plate, maybe more. I, three inches seems, um, I don't know, kind of fair, I, I guess, uh, from my standpoint. 
Mike Machlinski, the home plate umpire in this one. And it um it it wasn't right. And I, I think that did affect some at bats late. The White Sox were victims of a couple of mistakes. Nick Madrigal had a rough day on the base paths and had a bad hop skipped by a glove that led to an A's run or two in the first. Nothing really went the White Sox way, and they still had it. They still had the puck on their stick when it mattered late. I don't think this is a disaster for the Sox. Certainly, you want to just take care of business and move on. But they're they're well enough equipped to beat this A's team, assuming they get a decent start out of what I assume will be Dane Dunning in Game 3. I never remember a playoff game where a team... For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus... You can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Lost, and you could pull so many positives from the losing team than the White Sox had in Game 2 against Oakland. It stings a lot more because of the Mazzara strikeout. It really stings because of the madrigal errors that were in today's game, and I'm not even just talking about fielding errors. There were a lot of blunders that ended up costing the White Sox runs in this one, which you hate to see from a rookie, and we've talked about his growing pains this year, but, but that's really tough in a playoff game. I think when it comes down to it, <laughs> You're right with Jose Abreu, man. I I've, I'm in a group chat and they're like, "How can you swing at first pitch?" Deekman just came in. He just walked a guy, but that's what Jose Abreu has done this year, time in and time out. He's waited for his pitch and he's done what he's needed to do to drive runs in, and he almost did right then and there. That is a that's a personal uh, kind of like baseball fetish of mine to ask guys about that first pitch after a reliever comes in and walks the first guy. And I, I promise you, Joe, I have asked almost every ball player that I've had, you know, some significant time with, not like in a one-off conversation after a game or anything, but if I've had a couple of conversations with a guy, I always end up, you know, trying to work in a, a question about this thing, right? You're coming up, the guy in front of you just walked, and that was the reliever's first batter. Are you swinging or are you taking? And I, I swear to you, it is straight up 50-50. And half the guys say, oh, I'm absolutely taking. He just walked a guy. I'm taking a pitch. And the other half look at you dead in the eyes and go, why? You have to swing. You're getting a strike. And you're probably getting a fastball. There is no better time to swing and attack. And at that point, you know, I, I'm, not a, I'm not a major league hitter, obviously. I don't know which way I'd come down, but at that point, I, I think you just trust the guy who swings or doesn't swing. And if you can't trust Jose Abreu in a damn near MVP season, then then what are we left with? You know, I mean, like, then we might as well just all watch the presidential debate last night and throw ourselves off a bridge. Like, it, then what are we doing? Well, that makes a lot of sense because, yes, the guy on the mound is probably thinking, all right, there's no way I can miss this guy, too. I got to throw in in the zone. And not only that, how how quick is it to just pounce on a guy that's struggling and, and make matters even worse for him? But it goes back to saying, Jose Abreu has done this all year long. I had no problem with him swinging it right there. Man, was that just a, a whole air out of the balloon in that game. But 
I mean, we got to talk about the Liam Hendricks situation because now I'm starting to wonder, are these three-game series more difficult to manage than a one-game series? Because at least in a one-game series, you can be like, well, I got nothing to lose. I got to toss this guy. There's nothing guaranteed for tomorrow. But- well, unless you're unless you're Buck Showalter and you refuse to pitch Andrew Miller. That's that's unless you're Buck. Which, which brings me to another point. One of my favorite things to do in – baseball playoff time is listen to the team that lost that hometown sports station in the morning just to hear how crazy the host and the callers go um i i would almost be inclined to listen to maybe oakland tomorrow morning and just hear how pissed off a's fans are that hendrix pitched that much but i i when you look up his his resume this season his game logs he has pitched in back-to-back games a lot, 11 times to be in fact. He's pitched th- uh, three games in a row twice this year, but he's never thrown as many pitches as he did in today's game. He's never even thrown more than 30 pitches in a game. So it was it was very interesting to see him out there. I think, I think it was more interesting to see him come out in the eighth than to stay in there because this is the Joe Madden philosophy with bringing in Aroldis Chapman in game six when the Cubs have a comfortable lead. And he says, well, you know, I, I know we're in front and I know we got tomorrow to think about, but tomorrow doesn't happen unless today happens. But a five-run lead, I think you feel comfortable with Jake Diekman or anyone else in that A's bullpen who's been very efficient this year because then you can still put in Liam Hendricks to finish things off if if things get a little dicey. So that's a huge positive the Sox pulled from today, really making him work, making Diekman throw two days in a row. And the other thing is, Connor, how much did we talk about how many struggles the Sox would have for Game 3 if it gets to that series? I'm feeling pretty okay with them. Just, just by the way, they didn't give up today. They showed how the offense can can stay resilient. Nomar Mazzara had two good at-bats to end today's game with a hit and then with a an at-bat that shouldn't have ended in a strikeout. I, I, I did not think I would think this positively for a, a Sox team heading into a Game 3, especially after losing Game 2, then what is the case today? Yeah, so a couple of things there. One, you should all laugh at me and make fun of me on Twitter because obviously it wasn't Andrew Miller. It was Zach Britton that Buck Showalter didn't bring in, and I apologize for that a thousand times. But the other thing is, you you got away. White Sox fans got away with the big Jimmy Cordero day, and it, it went fine. You knew Jimmy Cordero was going to pitch somewhere in this series. And thankfully, it was mopping up innings, or at least it wasn't really mop-up duty, but it was like bridge innings that, that really could have mattered. And, and I suppose did matter because the White Sox had a chance to take the lead in the ninth inning. You had a Dylan Cease relief outing that looked fine, Cody Hoyer only threw, let me scroll through the, uh, eight pitches. So he's up, should be up and again for game three on Wednesday. You've got your whole complement of bullpen arms for you. So that's a good thing. You, as, as you mentioned, Joe, Liam Hendricks is tapped. I can't imagine them going to him again. And, and if they do great, uh, I can't imagine he's going to, I mean, he's going to be breathing heavily. He's going to be like a, a big guy at a, at an all-you-can-eat buffet. I mean, I don't know if it's going to look look really healthy. But the other thing is this. Um, what's interesting here is that Aloy Jimenez had a bat late in that game looking for a pinch hit. I, I don't know. I, 
looking through the opportunities, Nomar Mazzara pinch hit for Edwin Encarnacion, and Zach Collins got the pinch hit for Lurie Garcia, and then was subbed in for Gerard Dyson, who himself came up to the plate and then had the strikeout in the ninth inning. Um, if Aloy's not pinch hitting for any one of those opportunities there, he's not ready to play. I, I have to think he's just not ready to go, don't you? Yeah, 100%. The moment Collins walked up, I go, okay, well, Collins isn't staying in this game, so you're just you're using him for his bat. And it's Zach Collins, who hasn't batted in a major league game in quite some time. I, I, I kept thinking, too, man, it, it'd be so fantastic if the Sox pull out this game because then you get three days of rest for Aloy Jimenez that you didn't even need him when you pull away a sweep. Clearly, that's going to take another day to move on to the next round. Yeah, I definitely wonder about that. Going back to the bullpen, and I guess I should say people can make fun of me for not catching that you said Andrew Miller. I didn't even catch that. That blew right past me, but I wouldn't worry about it. Um, the Jimmy Cordero thing is huge because, like you said in the podcast we did the night before, he didn't get cute in Game 1, so he was able to use Cordero and Cease in Game 2. An eight-pitch outing for Cody Hoyer is huge. Now you've got Aaron Bummer after a day's rest. You've got Evan Marshall on a day's rest. Alex Colomay warmed up today, but there's no way you can't have him not warming up in that situation. Right, so right, there right. are there's a lot of positives to pull from. Let's face it, because it has to be said, one of the most important decisions of this series was starting Lucas Giolito in Game 1. I don't think anyone could have predicted what happened to Dallas Keuchel in Game 2, but the fact that it did, that was a huge, huge decision and could still be a very big reason why the Sox win this series if they do. So apparently, according to those who cover the teams and are in Oakland, Ricky Renteria and Bob Melvin neither have, have decided on a starter, or if they have, they're not telling anybody until tomorrow or until game day, I should say. I have to imagine that it's Dane Dunning for the White Sox, and I suppose probably Mike Fires. although I guess it could be Sean Manaya too, for the A's. Those two seem to be the most rested guys. Johnny Bullpen is available, you know, for both teams, but with options like those starting... Of of those four names, Dunning strikes me as the most solid. I think I think the White Sox have a better bullpen than Oakland, but the White Sox might have to rely on their bullpen more than the A's because a guy like Mike Fires, who's been in the playoffs, he's a veteran type guy. A guy like Sean Manaya, who's had a very good year, but I don't see. The A's throwing another lefty against the Sox offense. I mean, unless Dane Dunning is who he was in his second start of the year with five no-hit innings, like the Sox might need a lot from their bullpen. I'm still confident in Dane Dunning, but the fact that the Sox might need a lot from their bullpen and they have it available with everything we just mentioned before sets up the Sox for a lot of success in Game 3. Oakland... (sighs) I, again, I don't see them going with a lefty. I, I do see Mike Fires instead. And actually, now that I mentioned it, I did see on Twitter, Bob Melvin said that Hendricks is available for Game 3. So I, I find that very interesting. Yes, yeah, I, I get it. It's do or die. But the okay. dude nearly doubled his highest pitch count total in one game than he did all year long. So I, I don't see how inefficient 
uh, Liam Hendricks would be for the Oakland A's. But, again, just more to the reason why I have a lot of faith in the Sox for Game 3 that I did not think I would have for Game 3. Before we pop out of here, the unsung hero for the A's today, I'm going to go Mark Canna. I mean, the mic'd up thing was pretty fun, I thought, even though the interview wasn't all that compelling either way uh, that's a hell of a catch and it really swung the game and he seems like an interesting dude i'm going with mark canna well you stole my plan a so i'll go to my plan b and this is what we were talking about before the show i don't know i thought i thought and i could be totally wrong but i thought sean murphy's framing on pitches left and right not down low or up high but left and right looked pretty impressive especially later in the game and i think that might have helped the reason why Nomar Mazzara got called out on strike three. It was not a strike. It was not a strike. I'm not saying that. But with the rhythm that Sean Murphy had later in the game, I think that might have aided to getting that strikeout. So that's why I'll go with him. That is episode 21 of the Baseball from Home podcast. Wish we had better news with both the Cubs and White Sox lost. Game two for the Cubs tomorrow. Game three for the White Sox tomorrow. And, and really could be today, depending on when you're listening to the podcast. That is the glory of technology. He's Joe. I'm Connor. We'll talk to you next time.